Welcome to another episode of Morning Coffee with your host, Rick Alexander. I started this show to talk about all of the interesting, complex, paradoxical, and sometimes uncomfortable aspects of the human experience. If you get anything from this show, the greatest compliment you could give me is to share this show with somebody that you think the message may resonate with or to head to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Additionally, if you want to interact with me, you can follow me at rickalexander underscore on Instagram. Without further ado, on to the show. Rick Alexander, and today I'm joined by my fiance, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. And this is uh, quite honestly something that we've been considering doing for a few months the very first Deep End podcast. This started really because we like to just unpack ideas in the mornings, and you're going to school for depth psychology, and I'm going for theology. And we often find that there's some sort of intersection of our work to talk about culture and philosophy and the things that are going on in the world. And so I thought it'd be, both of us thought it'd be really cool to use this podcast as a way of trying to break deeper into some of these topics. And, you know, I think in doing so, it's actually going to stretch our ability to comprehend certain topics. And it's actually going to push us probably beyond or right to the limits of our own knowledge. And so I just say that as a bit of a forewarning for the listener and that like I'm both... I think I can speak for you. I'm certainly not trying to present something as gospel. It's more like I just want to explore something intellectually and see where see where we end up with it. Yeah, and that, that leads perfectly into the topic of today. So today we are going to go into the deep end of the deification of science. And so with that, what we mean is... So I've personally started to notice that since the pandemic has hit, we are more prone to rely on outer faculties of fact based on objective scientific evidence that isn't very clear at this moment. It's just some evidence at this point. And we're relying on that as truth. And so I think there's a problem with taking fact like scientific behavioral evidence fact as something that is truth which I think truth we can get into like a little bit more of a philosophical um, psychological realm when we talk about that because what I feel like is true for me as an individual might not be true for you and based on our personal realms of consciousness at this time our our truth is going to evolve as our consciousness evolves and it's based on how in touch we are with our inner, inner faculties which are your intuitive capacities your emotional regulation your responses to your body sensations things like that and so if we are completely disconnected from our inner faculties the propensity to rely on outer facts 
is larger. And I think we're starting to get into this dangerous realm because we're losing one, I think because we're disconnected from a a productive religious lens at this time that this objective truth is kind of being lost. But now we're also losing subjective truth. And I think where we're going with that is science. Mm. And now we're making science the objective truth. We're replacing God with science, with fact, with knowledge. And I think that that's dangerous. I think that it can cause a lot of collapse of individuality. And what that does is that takes power structures on the outside and props them up and then diminishes your inner capacity for power or feeling empowered in a way. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want to unpack a couple of things that you said right there. Um, So first of all, it's fact, right? Like this is a weird thing. Like it almost feels like a bit of ego inflation to claim that you know what a fact is. And I say that because anything, I mean, really, anything can be proven with a study if the variables are manipulated properly. And because we are finite in our apprehension of knowledge, there's always something that we're missing. There's always a piece of the puzzle. And this is the genius behind monotheism that I think people don't, that we kind of miss is that when you when you move to a system of monotheism in the world like one god it's the archetype of wholeness right and so what you worship well okay so the the reason you would worship it is because you become what you love like just in life like the the nature of our consciousness we tend to become transformed we first become transfixed by and then transformed to the nature of the things that we love and that's why when you love something like money the most it turns you into like sort of a soulless person because money doesn't have a soul right so mm-hmm. so you get turned into what you love and so the idea of worshiping the archetype of wholeness is that you become transfixed by and transformed into wholeness yourself right that that's a process called deification which has really been lost in western christianity i just wrote a paper about it this morning but has been lost in Western Christianity, but but was really popular in the early church, Desert Fathers, and is still kind of popular in Eastern Orthodoxy. And I say that because what happens now is if you are talking about a fact, whatever it is, right, you're, what you're doing is you're worshiping a part as if it's the whole. That's, that feels to me like the innate problem here. Right is that is that you're worshiping a fragment as if it were the whole, and it's not. So it can't sustain you. It can't give you the things a whole could give you. And I say that because, again, because of the nature of our consciousness, because we're such finite creatures, like you just kind of have to hold space for the fact that your facts there's an equally there's an opposite and equally true fact for almost every damn thing that you believe. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, if you could break down the word fact, like, what would that mean to you? And how would that be different than what it means to me? Like, what is a fact to you versus what is a fact to me? Like, what has to be in place 
to for it to be a fact and we have all of these evidence-based structures and systems that say if it goes through this many trials and tests then it's a fact but it's like also I have put myself through a pretty rigorous education system a doctoral degree in western medicine and I've seen those quote-unquote facts be disproven by experiential Mm. action humans not following exactly what they say the the textbook says and still going towards wholeness yeah and still being okay and i think what the problem here is that our own experiences or our own experiential wisdom is not prioritized or held up against fact like we're propping up science and we're saying they they science knows better than i do Mm. and i think there's sometimes we should listen to that but you know for it to be an end-all be-all situation i think it can be very dangerous so well i think what you're looking for is something that's observable and repeatable right like the scientific method is how we come upon facts but that is again there first of all there are so many variables that can be manipulated right i mean really a lot because you could take the mask thing like this perhaps will piss people off but whatever there was a right before the mask mandate there was a lot of studies that said like they don't really do shit for you like they're a very low percentage of this thing actually changing whether or not you contract any kind of sort of respiratory illness and then all of a sudden, the, it was like overnight, the science changed. And, you know, I'm down. Like, obviously, I have a mask. I wear it everywhere I go. I'm not fucking anti-masker or whatever that people say, right? But, like, I'm not... I was still alive then, and I, I didn't just, f- like, flush the toilet in my mind from one day to the next. I was like, hold on, but we... Are we going to talk about all... You know, all this stuff that came out that's contrary to the facts that we're now being fed? And I just think we have to you got to recognize that that was the case. Again, this isn't... A lot of people are going to want to make this political, and I, I'm not doing that on purpose. I'm saying the facts actually seemed to have evolved within a very short period of time, and maybe, maybe it wasn't the... Maybe the quality of the studies got better, right? Like, maybe the facts actually did change. Who knows? Um, but it's just the idea that if it comes out as fact and enough people agree that it's fact, you're no longer allowed to have a productive conversation that in any way would create some kind of doubt about this fact. Like you're not allowed to question what comes out as fact in any way, shape or form. And that feels like a really dangerous path to me. Like that feels like a a path that can only end in disaster. Well, it's interesting because you said, I don't want to make this political. But I think you're not really necessarily talking about politics here. The thing that is like constellated in me is power. And like where is the power at? Hmm. And I think that people can get very, very triggered by their relationship to power based on how they related to power growing up. And so if they were taught that you just believe this or you do it because I said so, or I'm your parent and I know better. And there was no like guidance towards 
internal power or feeling empowered, the tendency to seek outside for power, I would say, is a little bit more likely. Mm -hmm. And I think that we could call it political, but I think in that we're, we're going back into the realm of ego, which is likes to divide and politics are like super divisional right now. So I think we can talk about it in a way that isn't necessarily, necessarily political, but takes into account the unknown and the unconscious because the scientific method does not do that. And so how can we talk about it in a way where you have your certain beliefs and opinions on things, but is there something else that you don't know or you, you don't know for sure you aren't certain of? And I think that's something that we need to come to grips with. Mm. Sure. So, okay, I love that you couch the conversation in power because it's Easter. And <laughs> I've been um, recounting the passion narratives kind of all weekend, contemplating them and thinking about them. And it's, a, it's interesting, right? And I, I, I would say I want to talk about this as just a work of literature at this moment, right? Not as theology. But I think that when you read the account of Jesus being killed, it's fascinating because it's groupthink to it. It's like it's almost um, it's almost a warning against groupthink because essentially what happens is the Pontius Pilate, the guy that actually gives the call to cru- the Roman centurion who gives the call to um, crucify Jesus. Centurion might not be right, but um, anyway, he there's another guy who's a murderer in. Uh, I can't remember his name, Barnabas or something. He's a murderer anyway. And he and it's customary apparently for the Romans to give one person f- like freedom um, when they're being sentenced to death or something. And they couldn't find any charges against Jesus, but like he, he had threatened the power structure. Right? He had spoken truth to power is essentially what happened. People have probably heard that phrase before. But one of the things you'll realize is that throughout history – wherever you are, you can essentially figure out what's acceptable based on the power structure, what the power structure needs in order to keep the power. That's what will, that's what constitutes what's acceptable of the day. And so it's really fascinating because there was this murderer in the, in the narrative, they like explicitly say he couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. So he's like trying to give him back to the crowd and the crowd is just like bloodthirsty and they're like, no, kill him, crucify him. And they're like yelling, Right? And you can think about this group think it's nowhere near logic. It's nowhere near reason. It's nowhere near common sense. And it's just such a, it's such an interesting way of looking at how power catalyzes our momentum and our will in order to do its own bidding. And we don't crucify people now. Like we don't kill people um, that we know of in order to maintain power structures in this country but the we exile them in different ways, right? You can look at cancel culture. That that's essentially modern exile is what that is. It's the exact same archetype that's playing itself out in our culture now. And so yeah, I say that just because well, because it's Easter, so I was thinking about it and also because throughout history it seems that you know, we're using all these word facts, science. They're kind of like what's in vogue now in order for power structures to get their point across. Well, I think um, 
let's just go down the road of like the symbolism of crucifixion because I think that that has a lot to do with maybe bridging the deification of science because what crucifixion actually symbolized the cross being like nailed to the cross is the tension that is created between the vertical and the horizontal and so symbolically the the vertical is actually the relationship with god Mm -hmm. right and the horizontal would be the egoic plane of existence and so it's interesting how we've replaced the vertical with science and the, the ego is still there, right? But like our ability to hold tension, to be crucified and actually transcend to higher consciousness above science is like we don't have the capacity to do that in modern culture. Our, our inability to hold discomfort of other people's opinions, our, our inability to hold discomfort of our own actual experiences i think that's what's causing us to replace the vertical with this scientific realm because it it decreases the tension you're no longer crucified it it's like released Mm -hmm. and i think that to actually have this to put the archetypal god in its right position is to hold that tension because that's the only way that we can move to higher consciousness if we continue to replace it with something that's just fact because that's static and it's not dynamic and all that is and wholeness like you said what god is we're losing that's why i think we're losing our humanity because now because the tension is broken we're more apt to exist on this egoic realm and have a connection to something greater than us that's science, not God. Hopefully so, that made sense. Well, it's interesting that you say that. That Okay, so first of all, I want to say, wasn't there a young quote where he was asked, like, if we were all going to essentially kill ourselves, push the delete button on the species, and he talked about our ability to hold tension as being the... Yeah, some. it was like an interview in the... It was like right after, um, like, the Holocaust or whatever, and so, an interviewer asked him, like, do you think that we're we're gonna like blow ourselves up with an atomic bomb Mm -hmm. and he's like well it depends if the individual can hold tension between the opposites and so this is interesting it's okay even crazier that that happened right after the holocaust because that's what i was going to bring up is you know the age of enlightenment brought us the death of god it brought us the it brought us rationale it brought us reason and it's the plane of existence that we all live at now and there's so much good that that has done for us the pendulum i think truly had to swing that direction like it it had to so that we could stop burning people at the stake and shit like that but Mm -hmm. that scapegoat mechanism never left that like so many different aspects of our humanity never left just just because we not conscious right it's a little bit more unconscious it's more through projection versus actual like acting out ritual right okay so but what's interesting is it is right after the enlightenment like that you know go down the road a little bit further and then you end up in the the holocaust you know you end up in like the most brutal century of human existence ever mm-hmm. which I, I guess i guess the reason i point that out is because when we look to science as her savior it's like it's already proven that that's not so yeah, and how does that explain 
the unexplainable suffering of humanity? That's my question. How does what explain that? Science. Well, how does God? I mean, because if you use God, you end up at the problem of evil. But I think that if we have a relationship with God, we don't tend to need to know those answers. It's more of this like conscious know, like an embodied knowing. Kind of depends on your relationship with God, but yeah. Right, because we've now dragged God into this rational plane too. And so now God is this explainable phenomena. So now God's not wholeness, right? And I think whenever you, I think you have to understand if you're going to use words like God, you have to understand that what it actually means is everything that you don't understand. Because if you understood it, it wouldn't be God, it'd be you. And so that's what you're talking about. And so I think, um, okay, so I think that if you could have a true, that, that real understanding of that archetype of wholeness, which is by definition, everything that is outside of your awareness, then it forces you to bow to mystery. It forces you to hold that tension. It forces you to realize that there are unresolvable facets of this world, at least on this side of eternity. And so you kind of have to hold that tension. Like it calls you to hold that tension, right? And I'd say the Christian path specifically because it's, because the model is the person that was crucified, right? And so it the model is speak truth, the power, hold the tension, you know? So I just say that because, yeah, once again, like you have to be careful when you use the word God, just like when you use the word science, like you might not be talking about what you think you're talking about. Yeah, well, I think what that brings up for me is just leaving space for the unknown. Totally. For us to not know exactly what is right or wrong and I think that that takes a level of of ego separation or disillusion or ego death right because the ego loves to just like separate and divide into like right wrong and like categorize things and there's just an element that there's like something else there that it might not be right or wrong it just is Mm. right and I, you've talked about, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, and you were talking about the difference between knowledge and being, and mm. I think this is a good place to introduce that, because I think that's what being is, is there's like this kind of like egoic way of trying to figure out where you're at, but also it just is. Yeah, yeah. So ego, like the personality structure is a phenomena of the physical plane of existence obviously it's you here now talking to me in this room well i had a it i can't remember where i heard it but it i mean truly blew my mind to pieces and have not recovered and not that i even want to recover right like that it's like pushed me into a new place of thinking but the fact is that knowledge and being are different phenomena they're not the same and so one comes from another right we use our being to ascertain knowledge but they're not the same thing. And this for this reason is why when we drag things into the into the rational plane, into the plane of reason and intellect, and we worship it as if it were being itself, there's a there's a fragmentation that occurs and there's a disconnect that occurs because the two are not the same. And the ego, and I, I think my ego is like my ego has spent my entire life trying to figure out what I had to figure out to make it out of this place. And it's like, you're not making it out. You are going to die here. And because knowledge is perishable. And so are you. And so 
it's also freedom because you can, for a moment, like if you just close your eyes and you empty yourself of all thought, you don't cease to be you. And in fact, people that do that over and over again, they actually, that's what like the spiritual term enlightenment is actually referred to. It's actually the the relinquishing of all of your thoughts about the way reality is and all the models you've built to be here. It's actually when you put those down. So when you put knowledge down, you don't stop being you. Actually, you feel like you're more than you, which is an interesting thing, right? When people talk about these spiritual experiences of waking up, they don't say I woke up. It feels more like they talk more like the we that woke up through the I. And so when they put down the knowledge, because it's also important to understand that knowledge is by and large a classification system for reducing things, right? We reduce things to its parts in order to know more about it. And the more you can reduce it to the more parts, the more we say that you actually know. And so it actually takes you further from wholeness, you know, I guess in a philosophical sense. And so if you worship one as the other, again, that's the same idea. You're worshiping the fragment as if it's the whole. Mm-hmm. And you're going to end up in a place where you feel fragmented. You feel like you're not complete. You feel like you need something out there to save you, to complete you, to like we all feel this. And I think, you know, this is probably also not going to make me a ton of friends, but I think that there's <laughs> a, there's, I think, you know, there's a real tendency in religious traditions to drag them into the purely intellectual realm, right? Like the evangelical Christianity movement is a purely intellectual movement it's not purely intellectual but it's an intellectual movement and oftentimes what happens then is you have this sense of like needing to be saved and then you get the archetype that saves but like you're not whole you know you just say the words and you do you go through the motion but you don't really you only feel that fleeting sense of wholeness and i think part of why that is is because you even if you're using the word god if you're conflating knowledge for being you're not going to get there because you the truth is you're not going to get there there is no there to get like the ego dies the knowledge dies it's all perishable and i think in some sense this is the ego trying to become spirit you know the ego trying to become the thing in you that's eternal mm-hmm. by means of ascertaining knowledge it's like a ego inflation so do you think that the actual way I don't use that term lightly, <laughs> is to experience then. Yeah, I think it's the only thing that, that's real. Right. That's really real. Right, and so it's interesting coming back to this deification of science, right? So people are creating opinions about people who they have no idea about their own life experience, and they're saying that's wrong or that's bad, And it's using this like fear and shame to like divide. And it's like, but what about their experience? How arrogant is it of somebody else to cast judgment on somebody else's choice? Isn't that what makes us the most human is our capacity for choice? And so it's interesting how we just play God in other people's lives by casting judgment. Yeah, I mean, in a way that di- actually divides, not brings together. Right, right. 
Yeah, that's interesting. It's hard for me to think about like the implications of that in real time, but it seems like we're, you know, it seems like this cancel culture is almost a, it seems to be like a symptom of that, right? Like it seems to be a symptom of that, that inflation, like to, to take away someone else's free will. I mean, that's, you're inflating yourself past God at that point, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just so interesting because I know that between that, you know, a lot of this can happen on social media or technology or through the media, right? And so at that moment when this information is brought into your awareness, there's a response happening internally, right? But actually we just go to reaction. That's like our automatic like go point. Instead of trying to like stay with that internal response to this perception of information that maybe it actually doesn't sit right with you or like maybe it just doesn't feel right. But why do we go to reaction? And I think it's because that's that Viktor Frankl quote, right? The space between reaction and response or response and reaction. Oh, is awareness? I don't know. Something like freedom. That's where your freedom lies. I don't know what the quote is. I'm completely butchering it. But I think that coming back to instead of relying on... Oh, the space between stimulus and response is... uh, Yeah. Is choice. Freedom to choose. Yeah, and I think that there is just so much power and it sucks sometimes. Like it's not comfortable at all. But I think there's so much power that comes from being able to stay with something that would be initially a reaction and turn it into this just like inner wrestling with what you're going to do with that information. And I think what's happening is that we're so overloaded with information that our perceptions of taking all this stuff in, we just don't have enough space. We don't have enough internal space to process what feels internally true for you. And then what that leads us, that overwhelm, that perceptual overwhelm, I think it's leading us to more reactivity and judgment and defensiveness. But I think the answer is going in or inwards because that's the only thing that you have control over. And to think that you have control over another person's choice is such an illusion. It's creating an opponent force is what's happening. You're pushing one way at something and now there's an opponent force. So the fact that we watched riots this summer on you know, for on one side of the political aisle and then we saw what happened at the Capitol on the opposite side of the political aisle. It's like, it's so obviously opponent force. You push one way and then force pushes back another way. You push one way and it pushes back another way. Like you don't, there's nothing in this world that you can force and have it actually stick and work out for you. And it's interesting because that comes up in my in my work with my clients all the time is this concept of force and just like forcing control or forcing your opinions or beliefs or judgment on somebody. And it's interesting because when we start to dive into emotional work and shadow work and all of those like inner world things, they're trying to use that same force on themselves and they see how freaking miserable it is. 
And so they're starting to understand that like, oh, okay, I can't do this on myself. I probably shouldn't do that in the outer world either Mm -hmm. because the unconscious responds better to agility and dancing and like this very flexible, like wavy approach to working with the inner world. But I think that that is so very uncomfortable coming back to the crucifixion idea. Mm-hmm. Like that ability to hold tension for that discomfort is like you're going, a part of you has to die in that process. It has to. Right. The vindicated part that wants to be right. Yeah. Coming back to science. Yeah. Well, okay. So a couple of things that you brought up there that are interesting. Hopefully I, can, I should have wrote these down. Hopefully I can get back here. Um, oh, okay. So when. You, it's not that you shouldn't have an opinion about something. It's that you should hold space for someone else's opinion to be true for them, right? Because totally. yeah. your opinions are your you, – you have a value set. Like you've got you're, – you're moving through the world in a certain way. But like you can – let's take an example of two people that are going to war, right? Now, if you're going to war, you've decided that you're going to value – something over yourself you're putting something all the way at the top here in your value hierarchy right Mm -hmm. and so you look down the barrel of your gun and you pull the trigger at somebody else you have to understand the person that's pulling his trigger back he doesn't think he's fucking wrong he thinks he's he is just as right as you are there's no doubt about it he's not like i shouldn't be doing this but i'm willing to die for it anyway it's like no death is the ultimate decider like you're not going there unless you're you know at least reasonably sure or you've been forced and so what that tells you is that on any, any argument at all, there are two sides that are equally as true depending on where you're standing, depending on the perspective that you're standing at. And so what that forces you to or what that means is that whatever the truth is, you're, you're not it, right? If there's an opposite to you, and there is, it means that whatever truth is, like you're, you might be approximating it, but you're not on it. And I think your power in this life, your true power is, is to the ability that you can align yourself with actual truth is to the, to the ability that you're actually powerful. And I would say that by the sense that like, look at, we'll just use Jesus as an example, right? You can take all of the metaphysical presuppositions out of the conversation completely. It doesn't have to say he's not God at all, whatever you want to do, right? But this person was killed as the lowest of the low, mm-hmm. right? In his legacy is 2000 years and running like we celebrated easter today and i think that what that tells you is that the the power in his ability to be in alignment with truth is astronomically overwhelming more than anything we could ever imagine because we've never met anyone that could do that Mm, that brings you know what that brings up for me is i think I think that we, most of us were just raised to be out, outer dominant creatures. So like our parents raise us to get a good job and be in a good relationship and like all of these outer things. But how much of your childhood was mirrored about your goodness? How, how safe do you feel to be in goodness? And I think that that's part of the problem is like we've been so conditioned to not be in goodness. We've been conditioned by shame and shame without repair. So toxic shame. And I think that what that creates is this striving for something outside of ourselves 
in the illusion that it's going to make us whole, but it actually doesn't. And so I think we just have a lot of humans that are walking around with some outdated programs, but I think it's a very, I mean, if you look at Jesus's life, I mean, that's the epitome of courage, right? I mean, that's a courageous act on part of a human. And I think that's what it takes to start to like reprogram some of the ways in which we were raised. Like you have to be courageous in the face of your own demons. Yes, totally. Because the redeemer, the redeemer archetype takes upon himself the suffering that was not his, right? So it's not that Jesus didn't think he was right. Right when he's getting like hit and shit, he's not like he's not like, man. Maybe they have a point here. You know what I mean? It's like no. He's like I'm gonna bear this for both of us, and this is what we don't have the ability to do, in the modern age. I think like when we cling to science as God and we just try to banish everything that disagrees with our opinion, like it's it is the literal opposite. It's like I don't have the strength or the emotional capacity to hold anything other than what I think. Right, and I think that is because that is learned. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know these things, these super metaphysical things, but I just don't know if we were created in that image of complete woundedness. Mm. You know, I don't don't know. But to me, it just seems like the work that I've done with people after we get past these layers that have been kind of given to them there's just like this I don't know just this like light and this hope and this freedom and this expansion and like that feels to me if we think back to like maybe some amazing times in our childhood that's kids are an embodiment of that like the freedom and the expansion and the joy and the love and the all the things Mm. and so I think it it really just requires some unpacking of like where did we pick up these beliefs these shameful responses these reactivities this defensiveness like where did we learn that and start to question that for yourself and then also coming back to the power thing it's like well how was power modeled to me did I not feel like I ever had a choice in the matter? Because if so, you can probably, that person is either going to feel completely shut down and not feel powerful enough to, to have an opinion or going to like inflate themselves to feel like their opinion matters. And so just like really wrestling with that and trying to understand that mm. I think is important. Yeah, well, just some tangible things for people to take away from this. Yeah, well, it's a paradox too, right? I mean, and that's the problem. Like that, obviously, the cross is the paradox, right? But I think that, and so that's in a roundabout way what we're talking about this whole time. But it's like there's also a paradox in realizing that like you're just a finite human. Like you're less than nothing. I mean, really, like in the right from the right perspective, you're zero. You're just a point zero one, right? At the same time. There's something in you that is everything, you know, that is uh, holy and whole and sacred. And I think that like holding that paradox is really hard for us, right? It's like I, I can't recognize that I'm human and you're human and that we're both of the nature to be wrong and flawed and incorrect. And also 
there's something sacred and redeemable about you and I have to respect that as your experience and my experience you know it's like to some degree it seems like we have to either we're either like garbage or we inflate ourselves to like God and we're like no you're incorrect like this is what's true you need to shut up you need to be deplatformed you need to stop you you know as if you know and so it's like holding the paradox of what you actually are is the last thing we're capable of doing yeah and I think that um if if any of this feels triggering for you or it feels resonant for you and you you've just been like struggling and suffering with this like that's where I think asking for help can just be so incredibly beneficial because there are people who believe that you're not broken Mm. and science, the deification of science makes you believe that you are. Why? I feel like because it's like there's an answer to everything. So there's like an inherent um, presupposition to like, well, if there's an answer to this, then there must be something to heal. There must be a brokenness about it. There must be a problem with you. Hmm. And I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I think that, the well, back to the concept, the deification of science, like one thing it's doing is like we're, we're intersecting realms here. Like one's meant to do one thing and one's meant to do the other. Like the spiritual realm isn't meant to tell us about history, you know, in the way that science is. It's not meant to tell us about the material world in the way that science is and at the same time science was you know there's such a for the longest time up until modernity i guess there's like a really what science did was disprove itself you know and that's the beauty of it. it's constantly telling us how little we actually know in telling us more and that when we make science the end all the deification of it we lose the damn goodness of it. You know, like that's, there's incredible beauty in the fact that's that That's the humanity. Totally. Yes. It's like, we're just trying to figure out what the heck we're doing here and how to get through this in a more not so awful way. Right? And I think science was that. It was like trying to figure out like, what are the stars doing up there? Mm. How can that help us be here on earth? Right? And like... Now it's like, no, if you don't wear a mask or if these states open back up, we're not going to have enough data to like prove this right. And it's like, well, you're saying that at the cost of a lot of human, like humanity. Mm. And so I think that there's just like a lot of agenda there that's based on fear of power. Coming back. Yeah, totally. And like, I mean, that's, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I was going to go into something about how we, you know, politics, it's the system that we have, the system of governance that we have to try to make it not suck to be here. Um, But it's division, you know, it is at its core division, especially when it's only a two party system. Like it's, it's, you're going to be half right about exactly everything. And we drag that into religion, right? And you, you do it all the time because I'm reading constantly about like liberal theologies and these theologies. And, you know, again, these are all just words. It's all just existing in the domain of knowledge. It's not the actual damn thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you take the archetype of wholeness and then you cut it up with division. 
you're not talking about the thing anymore. You're, you're getting further and further from it. So it's not that I think these things are bad in any way, because I think, again, it's just a way to, it's a reductionist way of classifying phenomena in the world that we experience, but it's, it can't be worshipped as the thing itself. Yeah, and I think I think the thing that the worst thing that we could do is sit here and complain about it, right? But I think that ultimately the awareness is going to win. Like the consciousness is going to win. Not this like stagnant static fact consciousness, like this dynamic ever evolving consciousness of the shadow states of the shadow realms of the political system of the religious system of the scientific materialistic world i think that's ultimately what is going to open us up to higher realms of existence but i think you know we can't complain about it because we're here and we're being dealt these cards so i think the best thing we could do is just question get curious start to understand how you relate to this but that's exactly what's not acceptable right with the deification of science it's the questioning and the curiosity and the awareness but i think if enough people do it i think we're maybe not in my lifetime you know probably not in my lifetime but perhaps if there's an i just there's just something in me and i I have this propensity towards being positive and optimism and i try my best to stay like rooted in darkness too so I don't like fly away into like you know bypassing but I do feel deeply that we're being called to light like we're not being called to darkness we need to acknowledge it and experience it but that's not what we're being called to and I think so if enough people are grounded in darkness and facing the light I think that can move and I don't know, cause momentum in a good place. Yeah, I think it can. I think this is a place we disagree. I think we're 60, 40, not going to make it personally. <laughs> but I mean, I just do. I think like I, when I, when I really think objectively about it, I'm like, no, I don't think like you think about what it's we're not talking. not really sustainable. <laughs> right. Like I think the way that we're living is, is so far from sustainable that it's, it's absurd. We're just not willing to look at that. It's arrogant. That's it's, I think we're living arrogant. arrogantly. Right, right. I, oh gosh, I think it was Brett Weinstein who, who said um, that we have the, essentially through technology now, we have the capability of gods without the wisdom. And that's what we're doing and we're using it to devour this place we call home. And so I think it's, there's a chance we don't make it. I think it's a better than not chance we don't make it. But the way I would make that real for you is to say that all of these cultural phenomena we see are just manifestations of psyche right they're just individual projections out into the collective consciousness and that's holding all of this shit and think about how many people you know i know listener you could think about the same thing like how many people do you know that actually can hold the tension of opposites within their being and actually use that to ascend right because what what happens essentially is when we can't hold that tension we don't transform like we don't we don't ascend like i think carl Jung, one of the things he said is the biggest thing that keeps people from transformation is their inability to hold the paradox within themselves. And the amount of people that I know that can do that are very, very low. And so unless that starts to change, I just don't see us doing it. I don't think it's, again, when I talk like this, I'm not talking about our lifetime, right? So things, 
things to understand are like cultural phenomena play themselves out over thousands of years. And so whether we do or don't, I don't think is a question about this lifetime, most likely, or even the next 50. But. That's why I think that we're in this time. This is probably going to sound woo-woo, but I think we're in the time of rising of feminine consciousness mm-hmm. because we have made this god image of the big old man in the sky and this like masculine power structure has now like put us into the realm of spirit and we're trying to escape this earth by destroying it or through technology we're like completely disembodied and i think what we're being called to do is to start understanding what's happening in the darkness of your matter of your body like what is happening in here and I think that's the only way we're not going to completely destroy the earth. So you would know better than me, but so matter is akin to mother, right? Archetypally. Yeah, the etymology of matter um, and material is mother. It's Latin for mother. So our, depra- our depravity of the feminine over the last few thousand years, do you think that's one of the reasons that we're, we worship matter now? 100% I think like it's it's a it's a it's a reaction it's a collective unconscious complex playing itself out and it's really terrifying to think about mm. like the the mother complex playing itself out in culture where we are destroying we, it's it's basically like if you think about a shadow right it's like in, I, I want to be anything but that Right, But what happens with a complex is that it swallows the function of the ego. And so we have this, I want to be anything but that, but we're swallowed. And so we start to devour ourselves. We're in the grips of this devouring mother archetype. But in that, we're actually destroying the mother herself, our own bodies, and the earth. Mm. And I think that what it takes, again, coming back to what I said earlier, what it takes to work with complexes is consciousness. But I just don't know if collectively, we're certainly not there yet, but I think it is going to be building the tolerance for that internal. Okay, so that's my point, right? So think about when you're gripped by a mother complex or a father, a parental complex in some way, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a lot of people. Like I would say most people are making decisions. Every person almost. Yeah. Are making decisions based on their parents' wishes, their familial patterns. Like their decisions are pretty far from what their own would be all things being equal. And they're so, they're so engulfed by it that they actually... You know, it's like that idea of the prison that's so complete that you think you're free. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with the parental complex, I think, at least in my own experience, it, working through it. It's so devouring that you're it, right? You think you're you. So it's so hard to work yourself through that as an individual. Like there's therapy and like it's just a lot of work. People holding the container, you being able to see what's actually happening in an objective sense. I don't know. I just think it's too much work. I don't think we escape. Well, I think that's that's another point of us starting to understand the unconscious realm and the numinosity of archetypes because that's what's happening there. You have these personal attachments to mother, like your interaction with mother, but what's happening there is there's something beneath that that's like gripping you through numinosity. 
And so it's, it feels swallowing. And what happens is we either try to identify it or we completely reject it. And so we're either completely banishing it to the unconscious or living it out unconsciously. Hmm. And so I think that, again, coming back, we need consciousness on what the unconscious realms, how important it is for us to know that you only see, you know, my mentor told me one time, you know, you're, she's like, Danielle, you're only seeing it through these tiny little human eyes at this point, this human perspective. And there's so much at work beyond what you can see through your tiny little human lens. And I think if we just really sat with that and took that seriously, how much is playing behind the scenes of this drama called life, we would kind of get off our high horse. Mm. a little bit you know yeah well and so we're we're gonna get far from the topic here we keep going but (laughs) i think that's the role of awe it puts you back in right relationship with everything that you don't know yeah that's why i think awe is medicine fundamentally because when you experience a sense of awe it, it is the sense of holy shit there's a lot that exists beyond me yeah i think eventually I will come to do a podcast on my plant medicine journey I took in January, but not yet. Um, But that's certainly one thing that I took away from that. Mm. It was the awe that put my ass down on this human realm Mm. fully and completely. I was like, okay, well, now I know. (laughs) I know I'm a human now for sure. So I think there is some truth to that i think for the listener too as we wrap up here like it's important to you know as we talk about the deification of science i think one reason that's okay so i think one reason that's really worth having these conversations because the damn conversations just have to happen like we we have to have alternative conversations and yeah and we're being fed we're not right at all you know we're not wrong either we're just having a conversation totally and And it's super important to remember Right, right. And so if you're sitting there witnessing the deification of science and feeling a bit like we're not on the right, the train's like off the tracks in some way, you're not alone. You know, it's just that we have this culture that makes questioning things really uh, forbidden. Man, I love that Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist, I love that she speaks up against, uh, not against, but advocating for individuals to move beyond just the levels of certification and licensure and all these things because it's so so important that people start having conversations that aren't just educated intellectuals that are people out in the world experiencing life and seeing life and saying, hey, I actually had this experience that didn't fit into that cookie cutter model of this. Mm-hmm. And like I reposted something, I don't know, last week about like the work. She said something about, you know, she is a doctor, but she's like advocating for people to start having conversations. And I reposted it and I had like four people reach out and they're like, I followed your journey. I'm like stepping away from this educational realm and I'm terrified and it's like there's so much fear out there to just have a conversation Mm. I guess because of cancel culture and like this prioritization towards fact or prioritization towards 
diplomas or certifications and I just I just want to stand up you know I have that but also I I think my experience just we're in the midst of an absolute (laughs) windstorm right now so for people that are listening that it just got loud we're about to end anyway but like out of nowhere it just got (laughs) super windy super windy yeah spirits coming in and (laughs) telling us yes yes but anyway um I just think that my experience I value that just as much or more than what I have learned in school Mm. like it's just so important to have the experiences and talk about them you know like I think that's the way we do work through this right and the last thing then that I'll say is like when you pull something and I think one of the reasons that we love the neatly packaged bow of intellectualism at least one of the reasons I do is because when you pull something from the realm of knowledge into the realm of being it's fucking messy you know when you're we're having this conversation about these ideas of working through a mother complex and it's like yeah and when you do that at the level of experiential knowledge being itself it's messy human affairs are messy like it's anything but clean And so you actually absolutely do have to be able to hold that tension as you work through it. And then also just, again, like anyone, anyone can, can vouch for this fact. It's like you have an idea in your mind and then the reality is never the idea. Like the idea is always cleaner, more packaged. It always leaves out the humanity in it that you're definitely going to fuck up or do wrong or miss the mark or get set back or whatever it is. So as we um, conclude here, yeah, I would just say like when you think about pulling these concepts into your actual life, leave room for them to be to be quite messy. Totally. Let yourself be crucified by it.